Double thumbs up. All right. I like it. Hey, well, we're going to continue in worship here in a moment. But before we do that, uh, as we've been doing kind of through this new era of life, we're just going to take a couple seconds here. I encourage you to close your eyes. Maybe focus on your breathing. Just kind of slow your breathing down. Inhale and exhale extra slow. And we'll prepare our hearts and our minds to worship because we are here to receive from the Spirit. God is, gonna, God is in this space 
We just want to turn our hearts to him. So let's begin to do that now with a little bit of silence, and then we'll continue in worship. Will you stand and join us in worship?
speaker today, so I'll let you introduce yourself in a minute if that sounds good, and uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together today. We lift your name, we declare our need for you, we praise you, we love you, and we trust you. And yet we struggle with our faith and our feelings. Thank you that our feelings do not dictate the power of your presence, but only impact our awareness of it. Give us clarity this morning to rely on your promises over the power of any circumstances in our lives. We reflect on the words of your covenant delivered through your servant Moses to your people in Deuteronomy 30. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. God, take the excuses and shortcomings of this life and build in us the faith that leads to obedience, hope, and life. Take our to-do lists and give us your rest. Take our anxiety and give us your peace. Take our insecurity and fill us with the knowledge of your love. Take our fears and give us your boldness. Take our confusion and give us your discernment. Take our exhaustion and give us your endurance. Take our hardened and hateful hearts and soften and fill them with your love. Take our apathy and make us agents of your reconciliation. Take our failures and make us builders of your kingdom. Take our hopelessness in this world and give us your certain hope in eternity. Take our desire for control and make us instruments of your grace and mercy. Take our greed and our envy and our jealousy and give us your eternal satisfaction. Take our sinful selves and make us your loving and obedient children. Empty us out, Lord, and fill us with you. God, we thank you and praise you for your companionship and your intimate interest in each of our lives. We lift up our request to you today. We pray that you would be with Brooke Borsma and the Boshes as Brooke has been diagnosed with a chronic muscular pain disorder. Give Brooke the awareness of your presence throughout this lifelong condition. We pray for you to alleviate her pain through the effectiveness of the treatment plan and your healing. Be with Barb Pohl, scheduled for brain surgery next Monday after a recent stroke. Grant her a successful operation, quick healing, and full recovery. Be with Deb Woodwick after her recent breast cancer diagnosis. Guide her through a treatment plan and give her peace and a knowledge of your presence. 
We celebrate with the DeWitts as Nate and Ashley welcome Jovi Evelyn as their newest addition, born this past Wednesday. God, we thank you for the miracle of life and pray that this child will grow to know you quickly and deeply. We pray for Jane Bosco recovering from wrist surgery after a fracture. We pray for a speedy and full recovery. God, we give thanks with the Mulders and the Waterways as Sam has received a new cancer trial drug. Bring your healing. Spare Sam from side effects and fill him with your peace. God, we lift up all our teachers, school staff, and students during this time. Our educational institutions are doing so much for our kids and our communities right now. We pray a special blessing of peace upon them. We think of the Kids Hope Ministry through Neighbors Plus at Lakeshore Elementary. We lift up Jen Routabush and Don Housecamp as they lead your work to reach these kids for your kingdom. Bless and guide and strengthen their efforts. Lord, we ask that you would be with Kent as he brings us your word today. Make our hearts and our minds attentive to the stirrings of your spirit that we may go forward from this place as your living and active church, bringing your hope, love, peace, and joy to wherever you would have us share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right, me too. Well, my name's uh, Kent Sanders. I'm a seminary student over at Calvin and Grand Rapids. Um, I know this is hope in Western country, but I appreciate your warm accommodation and welcome to me. Um, a few brief words about myself, just so you can maybe get to know me. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, uh, a bit of a different climate, but I'm still getting used to the winters. That's okay. Um, I met my wife, Crystal, at Calvin. Uh, you got to watch those Christian colleges sometimes. Um, but we've been married for five years now, crazy enough. Um, and we welcomed our first child this past April, Thomas. So we're very excited and very exhausted all the time. Um, but enough about me, as we have our word this morning. Our text to us comes from Jer Jeremiah chapter 29. You want to look that up in your phone, otherwise I will read um, slowly. I know we're doing a sermon series on Daniel, and though this isn't from the book of Daniel, it is a story that would have been circulating um, in Daniel's family and sort of been in that collective memory to help set the groundwork for Daniel's prophetic ministry. 
A letter to the exiles. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. The skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shepham, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase the number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray that it prospers, because if it does, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The, Lord, the word of the Lord. We got to go. We're good? Okay. <laughs> Fitting words. Um, we got to go and never stop going until we get there. Where we're going, I don't know, but we got to go there. These words quote perhaps one of the most infamous novels of the 20th century. On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Beaten and broken down by the iron yoke of a traditional society, these beatnik authors, as they were called, traverse the open road, appropriating the fierce otherness of a vagabond spirituality. Sex, drugs, and free verse poetry, always on the road from one city to the next. Missionaries with a bohemian message, spreading a gospel of personal liberation, where the greatest teacher is experience, 
rather than someone's distorted point of view. They were called by J. Edgar Hoover, the former director of the FBI, as the greatest threat to America next to communism. Though these beatnik missionaries on the road witnessing to the beatnik gospel of rejecting the traditional mores of an oppressive society, seeking meaning, seeking meaning and freedom from all forms of constraints, they would come to weave their eventual influence deep inside the subconscious of a nation, laying the groundwork for the countercultural movement of the 60s and of beyond. This book, On the Road, came to characterize the restlessness of a generation, of its desire for individualist subversion of what they believe is an oppressive society planting the seeds of angst for revolution and popular artists like Bob Dylan, who once famously sang, how does it feel to have on your own with no direction home like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone? And yet in our text today, it is on the road that we meet two royal messengers, Alasa and Gemariah, carrying the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah from the dusty and battered roads of Jerusalem, a conquered city that now lies smoldering in ashes, to this prosperous new city, a plentiful palace, a powerful and foreign Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. For the problem these ancient Hebrews were facing was not just one of exile, of having lost absolutely everything, being carried away thousands of miles away from home, those familiar places of rest, comfort, and tradition. It was not just in having witnessed the brutal deaths of friends and family. As Babylonian soldiers climbed over the walls, vanquishing them in pools of blood and bone. But the problem in our text day, the threat to the Jews that our text presents us with in verses 8 through 9, is that they are being given a message by false prophets, a message given by those false prophets standing on well-paved Babylonian city roads, inviting them to deny the concrete reality where they must live out their faith, promoting instead an instability of heart with pious and fragrant messages of religious escapism, promoting engagement with illusion rather than with the society around them. We are given a fuller exposition of these false prophets in previous chapters, 28, 27, and 23. Prophets like Hannah and I who claimed this terrible exile would be over in just two short years rather than 70 such a short amount of time, of course, it hardly necessitated getting to know the community around them. Promises, too, of a comfortable and familiar political regime of previous leaders like Jehoiakim would be restored. Former glory not truly lost, but simply put on pause. Words like this leading the Jews on the road to delusion. False prophets like this whom the Lord did not send, but that ran with their own messages. False prophets filling a despaired and hopeless people 
with false and easy hopes. False prophets who even on the worst occasions sowed crippling despair with neat and easy platitudes, sowing convenient reasoning and a solution that would cost them nothing. And yet even in our world today, nearly 3,000 years later, there are false prophets pushing the same messages of false hopes, easy solutions, and perpetual inwardness. None perhaps so bold as Australian biologist Jeremy Griffith, though. Griffith, in his book Freedom, promises the end of the human condition, an end to the pain, loss, sorrow, emptiness, limitedness, desire, and everything else that seems so inevitable on the road to being human. One specific interview in particular with Griffith promises to hold the answer that saves the world and ends the human condition itself. This book, Freedom, which costs $19 on Amazon, advertises that through a proper understanding and reconciliation of biology, natural instinct, and consciousness, we can eliminate or at least mediate those internal destructive forces, those forces that form this unreconciled duality of instinct and self-awareness that, according to Griffith, are the cause of all the world's suffering. Harmless as it may seem, Griffith has indeed started what is called the World Transformation Movement, where followers of this message try best to live out principles of this new and unique philosophy. Personal and reflective accounts of these followers reflect that despite all the chaos around them, Griffith still lets them know that they have worth as human beings. His message brings to them a peace and calm and clears up the confusion and uncertainty of the world around them. This community, they are said to be a community of people committed to the spreading of this restorative hope that Griffith offers. An understanding of ourselves that can save every person on the planet. For them, this new message has become a beacon of truth that motivates them to make sure that every man, woman, and child personally receives this message of liberation too. This book, Freedom, has even been quoted by the former presidents of the Canadian Psychiatric Association as being the one book that saves the world. It has become a message of hope amidst an exile world experiencing the human condition. A neat and easy answer that costs us nothing, unless you count shipping and handling, of course. Yet the world's message of hope is not like the one that arrived on this ancient Babylonian road. The message instead comes in the form of a wrapped up papyrus skull handed off the road to one of the surviving elders in the community. And this grace, this movement of God toward them when hope and divine presence seemed all but lost comes in the form not of a command of sectarian withdrawal, not in a quiet resignation or in political nostalgia, 
but in a message of truth that exile and suffering are a place where God's faithful promises work a profound and unique newness. It is the weak and scandalized exiles who receive this peace, this shalom, this holistic wholeness of God. Promises of prosperity and not harm. An assurance that God will listen and will be found. And it is these same rejected and despised refugees who are tasked with gifting this incredible gift of shalom to their massive political and oppressive enemies nonetheless, to the same society that had literally killed and conquered them. It is these Hebrews who are charged with the mission of God that was to be their the responsibility the whole time. It is in this miserable weakness that they are tasked to be a blessing to the nations. They are to build and not wander, to settle and not roam, to work the land and enjoy its produce, to be fruitful and multiply, to increase and not decrease, to seek the prosperity and shalom of a people and land that are not their own. They are to do this in full assurance of God's restoration hope, God who even now is preparing them to receive his good and full promises. Promises to bring them back to Jerusalem, back out of exile, back from this place of pain. In the meantime, the grace, the gift that God gives them is this stability of heart. Not a desire to go off in search of something better. Not a retreat to the safety of inwardness. But of learning to joyfully thrive and serve where they've been placed to stay the course and build a fruitful existence amidst the suffering and exile. Prospering and blessing their enemies is a powerful witness to the relationship of the living God amongst them. And yet this incredible task is not to be done with their own strength, their own human capacity, but it is built upon the long-term active hope of God's promised restoration. For even in those weak and dark places, God's message is shining through. And even for us now, as the church made up of broken and weak people, God in his redemptive love is preparing and equipping us, using our frailty to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. For the gospel is more than just dying and going to heaven. It's the radical and scandalous reality that God sought and is seeking us. Actively moving in relationship out toward us, bringing the inbreaking of his kingdom in and amongst us. And we see this most fully in the sending of Jesus Christ by God the Father. The Imago Dei, the mission of God, as it is called. Christ who came and dwelt among sinners, Christ who was crucified by sinners, and Christ who was resurrected the third day to be reconciled with sinners just like us. And this for us is the gospel hope, that we no longer suffer an alienation, an exile cast from the Garden of Eden, but that God right now is reaching out and taking hold of you 
and taking hold of me. It is this dynamic, unearned grace from an active and tireless God that refuses to be separated from us. Working in us newness and hearts of flesh. For it is the reality of Christ's work and the covenantal promise that He fulfilled that is the foundation for the freedom we have and new life. That we are no longer orphans, but adopted children of a living triune God who has tasked us with the joy of inviting others into this living salvation relationship. A salvation and a freedom that is anything but easy. A salvation that is not a cheap hope of beatnik licentious living or a secular psychobiological understanding of nature and nurture. But indeed, it is a message that cost Jesus his life and will truly cost us too if only we have the courage to live it. Shane Claiborne, in his book, Irresistible Revolution, tells the story of a youth pastor stranded on the side of a mountain. Stranded on the side of a mountain in a broken-down van with a large group of inner-city kids. After hours of struggling frantically to replace the flat tire, the pastor finally just lost it. Screaming his face a bright purple red, slamming his fist into the side of the van, denting the large letters, Peace Baptist Church. At the end of the week-long church camp, the meanest and most vile-looking kid slowly lumbered up the aisle to the astonishment of his hardened friends, kneeling at the altar to accept Christ into his life, who, when reflecting on the first day of the trip, said, if that guy can be a Christian, well, then maybe there's hope for me too. And yet it is in stories like this, the grace of God using our weakness, that we are tasked to experience the gospel and to share it with others. We then, in this good news, in full confidence of the saving lordship of Jesus Christ, that we are tasked to go and spread the good news of the inbreaking of this new reality. With stability of hearts in the neighborhoods we've been placed in, the jobs we invest ourselves in, and the relationships that we are committed to, that all may be saved and know the salvation of Christ in thought, in word, and in deed, to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, it is in brokenness and weakness that the mystery of your glory is made known. If it is our weakness that people come to know you, let us be weak. If it is our foolishness that others learn of your salvation, let us be fools. If it is in being rejected that others are accepted, let us be rejected by a world that doesn't know you. Let us be broken vessels of grace to wherever you carry us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?
prepare to leave, we know that we do not go alone, that if we go as broken vessels filled with a deep grace to spread the message and love of God. And so I invite you to extend your hand to your hearts to receive this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you.